Wearable technology use in professional and elite sports is now commonplace. Understanding athlete load volumes for practice and conditioning is an essential part of each athlete's individual profile. But what happens when athletes have the same measure of loads, yet they respond differently? I encountered that directly working with an NFL team in 2016. Two wide receivers with identical load volumes had significantly disparate responses. I recall explaining to the coaching staff that the answer lies in how each of them were recovering. Recovery can take many conscious programming forms, but when it comes to identifying the largest pillar of recovery, nothing is more important than sleep. In 2017, I dived deep into the recovery science pool, experimenting with technologies that quantified individual sleep patterns while looking for experts globally that understood exactly what that data means to a high-level athlete. At a conference in London, Anna West appeared. Just another practitioner in a long line to meet her at this conference. The more we talked, the deeper the discussion got, the further she unpacked sleep science and its critical importance at all stages in life. Needless to say, I believe Anna to be best in class at not only interpreting data from sleep, but more importantly, the behavior modifications relative to maximizing daily athlete adaptive responses. Anna's information is one part of the equation, but what I truly enjoy is her ability to take a step back, analyze the entire human, and individualize her process. It's unique in a world saturated with linear data and critical to the depth and understanding of the human kinesome. Anna, it is so great to see you and catch up and thank you for taking part in our podcast. I think I'm the one to thank you. Nice to see you again. Yeah, it's been a while. So we first met back, I think it was like 2016, 2017, was somewhere in there at a conference I was attending. I think I was hosting a roundtable for one of the leaders in performance sessions and we got the chance to catch up because at that point in time in my career tech, with technology, I was looking at a product called Whoop and I was trying to understand sleep for the first time. And it was starting to, at that point in the US sports market specifically, sleep was starting to become like in vogue, right? People starting to talk, oh, why can't we measure sleep? Why aren't we measuring sleep? And it was kind of coupled to this thing called recovery. And I started looking out and the knowledge base that I could find to really educate myself around that science and that domain, I kept landing back at you. So when I had the opportunity to connect with you live, and we sat down over dinner and just, I think I just remember talking for hours about your experience with sleep, not just like as a science, but the applied component of, of that science, it kind of blew my mind. You know, some of the, some of the things you'd done, but where did it all start for you? sleep Anna how did you how did you arrive into this space how did I even arrive here I love you say that you started putting an interest into sleep um, and trying mm. to understand it and I think in all fairness we are still trying to understand what sleep is how it affects and right. how it's dominating in the athletic domain as well we have theories and 
There is a lot of science that came out lately, which is very usable, but there are still some black spots where we don't know. And that's where applied science is super good because that's trial and error, right? Can we see that there is a difference? And trial and error also means that what we try does not always work on everyone, but Mm. we might see results for someone. Hence why it can be super difficult also to create specific guidelines when it comes to sleep and athletic performance. So my start into the sleep area was... I wouldn't say that it was by coincidence, but maybe a bit of coincidence and luck. I uh, have a background in sports science. Um, I'm a mm. nurse as well. And straight out mm. of university, I was super green and super lucky to be hired into a medical technical company that was specialized in sleep. I spent quite a few years in this mixed field of research, athletic performance, military, and was super lucky, I think, already at that point to be able to kind of bridge the gaps between science and applied science and what happened in the athletic field. When I started 10 years ago, I think everybody knew that sleep to a degree was important. Honestly, the investment in sleep was quite low. We all knew that it was important, but actually seeing sleep recovery as an investment area wasn't the case. We saw a lot of research projects. I took part in a lot of research projects as well. And where I personally missed an outcome was actually the translation, right? So we conclude that Mm. sleep has an impact, but how do we actually implement it? And back in 2016, a time slot came up where it was the right time for me to to continue down that consultancy road. Uh, I'm a huge techie fan but i'm also super happy to now be in a position where i'm not super dependent on which technology i need to implement in in this in this project or study because Mm. i honestly don't believe in a one-size-fits-all philosophy and i think from a mythology perspective it's super important also to understand that a technology might work super well in this athletic environment but in this athletic environment it might not be super good and no offense towards any technology companies, but that's a little bit the standard mindset, right? We want to create something yeah. that fits everyone. And yeah. very often you will hit a big target group, but a good example would be Whoop, where you were mm. working, is risk one, mm. right? So let's say you're playing tennis or volleyball. It's not really optimal. Yeah. Aura, which is a different technology in the market now, which is a ring. Yep. Maybe you're wearing yep. one. I yep. can't really see it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am as well, but yeah. it's going to be slightly inappropriate if I take it off. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, Once I what finger, that's being worn. Yeah, <laughs> okay, that was a good icebreaker. Um, sorry. So wearing a ring is also not for everyone, right? So yeah. the the important yeah. thing is that we have maybe a portfolio of devices where the right. data accuracy is high, where the data yeah. is comparable. But because we can't force people to wear just any device, for me, I think a core important feature is actually that people want to wear it because I'm not going to get any data on my side if people are not wearing it anyways. Exactly. And look, you bring up a really good point. And I think I'm now, or as of this weekend, I'll be on my fourth sleep technology. So started with Whoop, went down that pathway. Moved over, did a little bit of work uh, with a company called Rise Science. It had a sensor that goes just simply under the mattress and looked at the data coming from that. Without stating my own personal confidence intervals in tech, 
Aura Ring for me has been really good because of the low friction in my lifestyle. It kind of matches. But I also just invested in Eight Sleep uh, at the recommendation of not only our president of Kinetics, but also the head of performance for the San Francisco 49ers. He was so engaged with that technology that they've ordered 100 of those units to take into camp with the San Francisco 49ers. That's how that's how confident he is in that technology. So the confidence interval and the lifestyle kind of have to go together to provide you data so that you can understand that athlete, correct? Can I, can I challenge you a little bit? Please, is please. It un, is it unfair me. to do it already? Look, I trust in, in technology, but I really mm. also have seen in, in my way of working that technology needs to be implemented in a clever way because... You can yeah. take an aura ring and I can give you an example. I can't tell you who, but I just recently did a project with, I should probably say a soccer team because that's how you know it in the US and, and where right. you're based. And, and they started with what I call like the cherry on the top, right? They acquired all the mm. technology. They asked players mm. to wear it. And exactly my fear of technology, two months down the road, nobody was actually wearing it. Because a lot mm. of people started to see data that one, they didn't want to see, and two, they didn't know how right. to translate it. So you can have a super, super good technology available. You can collect a lot of data. But if people don't really know, again, going back to translation, if they don't know how to translate it, we will all have bad mm. sleep data, me inclusive. But if we don't have right. the, the tools and the strategies to actually turn that negative data picture around, the easy way is actually just to take it off and put it away, right? Because then we're not confronted with exactly. it. And exactly. I, I actually like when people get to see their negative sleep data, to be honest, because mm. I think it's super important that we embrace that nobody, like no one will ever sleep with, you know, stars and, and signs every, every day. Yeah. Because the athletic yeah. world and the domain that an athlete is trying to optimize sleep within does really not respect sleep hygiene, you know, a consistent mm. rhythm and, and, and. So we will have off days. The, the yeah. thing is that we need to embrace those and know, okay, so mm. if, if an off day is coming up, how can we at least create a scenery which makes it more optimal, but not fully right. expecting that that day will be, you know, 100% and, and that's yeah. where I'm always cautious about technology. And I, I'm always mm. trying very much to embed into my mythology, which profile am I working with? Because if you are very right. boxed thinking, right, you, you want yeah. things to be to the point, you want to have a good score every day, and, and then wearing a technology can be stressful. It can. It's the requirement with a, with a human athlete. It, it is chaos theory relative to all the physical systems that are interacting and all the separate mm. measures that potentially could come off that individual. When you couple that with this continuous attempt at linearity of measurement and quantification instead of stepping back and getting deep into the qualification of those units and understanding to your point, selecting the right technology for the right application for that individual athlete it can't be one size fits all, right? It's got to be variable in that department. But stepping back and knowing what you know about the array of technology that's available, how do you approach that with an athlete? Do you first have an 
individual discussion if they're using, say, no technology? And how often is that now? Because athletes are so exposed to tech, right? Do they come to you and go, hey, I've got this. Anna, interpret this data for me. It varies, to be fair. And there's a big cultural difference between countries and between sports as mm. well, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and there's also a big cultural difference between how early on the athlete on an individual level has learned to take care of himself, right? So mm. give you an example. Yeah. If you're a triathlete on a super low budget and you don't really get a salary and you need to make sure that everything is um, balanced between, let's say, school, work, training, mm. blah, 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 blah. Quite early on, you become quite... I wouldn't say thorough in your rhythm, but but you become very much aware of your need. At the other hand, if you are a football player and very early on you get a very high salary, you're very used to having a chef, mm. da, 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 your right. way of of implementing and taking care of yourself might be super different. I'm not right. judging anyone, right? right? Because my yeah. application and my way of working with people is very non-judgmental. We need to approach people where they are with, with yeah. the with the competencies that they're giving to be fair right let's say you're i don't know you're a football player who grew up in a home in africa and you moved to europe yeah. you, you you grew up in mm. a dormitory with 50 other players suddenly you're put right. in a football academy in europe you get your own flat blah mm. blah blah stuff like that the yeah. conditions for you to actually have your lifestyle rhythm in is going to be very different as well so every mm. time i'm applying something i look at who i'm working with with no judgment, no nothing, but I'm really just trying to adapt it to who I'm working with. And look, there are a million questionnaires available in the field that you can use to, to create a baseline understanding of sleep in your athletes. The last couple of years, like the predominant ones that were used actually in athletic research as well, were questionnaires that were avail available and used in the normal population. Mm. And then a few years back, you kind of recognized the fact that we can't really use those in an athletic setting. Then we developed right. in the sleep science field questionnaires, which were special for the athletic field. In my opinion, yeah. that's super nice, but we, we tend to forget the fact that athletes in an athletic world are also people in the normal population, <laughs> yeah. right? right? So you can't yeah. really put... Yep put these borders up between the two worlds because as soon as someone leaves the training ground, he's actually also just a normal human being. So what I have yeah. done and how I am working, going back to your question, is that every time I hmm. engage with a team, with an individual athlete, basically anyone, I'm, I'm conducting a screening, which is a screening tool that I've worked on for the past five, six years basically yeah. compiling the best of two worlds into one questionnaire. And then I'm asking a lot of questions which would probably in your perception be very non-sleep related, which could go mm. towards motivation, even more the emotional perspective of where people are, family-related right. questions, questions around the environment mm. to understand, is this a very mm. top-down, you know, controlled yeah. environment? Do you have a lot of penalties? Right. Because if you get penalties yeah. in the morning... That can actually breed quite a lot of sleep disturbances, especially among young athletes, because they're afraid of getting up too late and blah, 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 stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So yeah, I always yeah. conduct this screening. And in that screening as well, technology, and here's the answer to your question, is a part of it, right? I always ask people if mm. they're already using technology. I'm always mm. curious to understand how they're using that technology right, and what right. kind of technology they are using. 
if they are not, I'm always then trying at the back of the analysis, trying to figure out based on my experience, hands-on experience from the field, which technology would actually suit this person best. Right, right. No, it makes a lot of sense. And the interesting component here, and, and you touched on it, like if a team implements a sleep technology and it's kind of pushed down from the top, which quite often in the US, yeah, just like I mentioned, the 49ers, boom, everyone's going to have this measurement tool. With that, I mean, eight sleep is kind of really interesting because it adjusts temperature. There's a whole battery of stuff, even inclusive of the data that can potentially come off that. But when an organization does that, that's pretty invasive, right? You're now asking to measure what I do in a very private area of my life. How do you see that in Europe primarily? Have you seen that with teams? Has there been pushback? Uh, Because it starts to become even a a player union discussion here in the United States. And I get why. And I, I, I um, respect that, that players might find it very intrusive into their private domain as well. The way that I've always applied is, is that there's a very, very clear line about communication when it comes to the data and who sees the data. Right. Um, yeah. So when I work on an individual level with a player, they know that everything that he, she, and I would discuss is confidential. Hmm. And I never report back to to the management. And if I'm engaged in a project description where that is required, I I honestly don't want to do my project. Because I think that that trust is extremely important when it comes to the data side of things. It needs to be very clear and sealed as well who sees the data, right? Let's Hmm. let's say say you have a team and a player is fearing that his negative sleep data is going to the head coach and that that negative data ultimately leads to him not being selected for the next game. Then you have a problem. Exactly. And and you can create a lot of cultural trust problems if these lines are not very clearly def- defined. Um, at the same time, I have to say, honestly, when, when I... When I engage in projects where where this is very clear, I don't need resistance, because mm, because then right. the, the, then the players knows that this is a confidential relationship. The the staff around me and I, I think before you hit the record button, I said I don't want to sit on a pedestal somewhere because I'm not the one creating <laughs> the success here. Yeah. And I think it's super important yeah. to highlight that if you want to mm. create success in an athletic environment with athletes. The whole environment is a part of how you can create success. I'm I'm a co-pilot, right? And and the mm. the way that we support athletes to get better sleep is once they realize that they're the pilots of the airplane. But I can give them mm. coordinates to where it's a good idea to move their plane towards. At the same time, the environment is a super important co-pilot as well overall. And a good example would be like in the morning, a player comes in and. Let's call him Tom, the kit man, see someone with bags under his eyes. Once Tom is educated and realizes, you know, small signs of of sleep disruption and so forth, you know, Tom is a really good source of information as well. And if Tom Mm. knows that I'm around, he would like go and, hey, Anna, did you know this morning when he came and got his suit, he looked really, have you talked to him? Yeah. And and the success comes when people start to understand the signs. But also when, of course, scheduling and planning and so forth takes into considerations, like, who are we dealing with here? And even though I don't like to say 
that you know we run these one size fits all models i don't like them but in mm. theory we need to create them to a degree right because if it's a team sport everybody needs to to translate this knowledge into a specific framework it's important that you have late play kickoff times play times because that's where you will have the most viewers that goes straight against normal sleep physiology but we can't change that mm. we can't change game times mm. But every no. player will be exposed to it. So in that sense, we can create tools that, that kind of helps all of those with a late kickoff time. But then right. one player might respond in one way to that. Another player might respond a different way. The kickoff time is going to be the same. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I was, I was about to ask you a question, and I realized in positioning this question that, oh, no, hang on a second. I'm thinking, I'll call it very American here, very linear and wanting to make an application kind of have an application discussion so i'm going to pull back a little bit here and i mean that's just what you do annie you change my thinking quite often uh thank you for that is that good <laughs> or is, bad uh, mm. yeah I, I, it's, it's brilliant but it's but now i got work to do cognitively right so um my my experience early days with athletes trying to understand sleep was like back in the early uh, I'd say 2007 when I was first employed by a professional team full-time. And one of the things I'd start to do, I'd ask athletes when they came in, because I didn't have any tech at the time, I'd say, oh, how'd you sleep last night? Oh, oh yeah, pretty good. Um, how long did you sleep? Oh, about eight hours. It was the same, same answer for everybody, right? And so that's when I started to realize, okay, ask what time they went to bed. What was the last time they remember, they remember going to bed and falling asleep? And then what time did you wake up? And that would give me, it was never just eight hours, right? It was a conglomerate of, of kind of quantitative data. But then when the technology came into play, and this was my pure interest, you know, in, I guess I would put sleep in the middle of this thing called recovery, right? That's what I was interested in as an applied sports scientist. How do we recover? And I postured the theory, if we recover deeper, we may be able to extract more on the backside, right, on the next day, you know, make it better outputs. But when I started to dive into the science, I really had to understand sleep more. We look at the various types of sleep, whether it's slow wave sleep, deep sleep, whether it is really light sleep, whether it's REM-related sleep. If you are looking at data for, for a specific individual, do you try to apply that data set, the qualitative information around sleep against their output? And I'll give you an example of that. I know when I'm having a good day, if I was to look at, say, my aura ring data, I've got right around this two hours of deep sleep in there, in those cycles. And that seems to be a very subjective correlation for me personally. But do you look at those qualitative blocks and try to measure... For that individual, this appears to be optimal? I think there's actually not a straightforward answer to that one because sometimes I do, but what I like to do more is look at the trend curve, like the development over mm. time in relations to where the athlete would be from a mental perspective. Because let's say you have two hours of deep sleep, the aura ring gives yep. you a high score, but currently you're not getting picked for the team, you're in a bad place, you're not mm. motivated. You might have a very nice sleep output, but you mm. still feel like low on energy, fatigued, and then, and then it's actually not right. because you're not sleeping and recovering well. It's because there are other factors disturbing the feeling of mm. a positive output. Hence why I would never let the data stand alone. 
I would use them as indicators for discussions on, on, on the aura. You can actually blind the data. You can do that on the whoop as well. Mm. So if yeah. I can see that someone, and in some cases, it's actually quite good that you can blind the data so that people can't really see, but you can initiate a discussion asking them. like. Mm. So rather going back to your questions back in the time when you were asking athletes coming in, rather mm. asking them like, how many hours of sleep did you get? When did you go to bed? Ask some questions mm. about mood-related aspects. So how did you mm. feel when you woke up this morning? Were you energized? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Are yeah. you motivated to train? Are you sore? Mm. Are you, because there are a lot of questions which lead back to the quality of the sleep that you've had. Does it make sense? And, and you can have someone sleeping if they reported back with a non-documented sleep saying, look, I slept eight hours last night. But if we measured that person's sleep, he might have spent eight hours in bed, but only sleeping five hours. You can use the data as as guidance towards something mm. and you can always argue if the validity of the data is going to resemble if i had them in, in a sleep lab somewhere but then again if i had them in a sleep lab somewhere their sleep would probably also be disturbed because they were not in the right setting exactly. and, and framework exactly. so i always use yeah. the data as indicator and i use the data to together with the athlete track a trend curve so that we can see mm. if there are variables that are the same. Let's say you have a match day minus one. Do you always sleep bad before a game? Mat match day plus one. Do you always sleep poorly after the game? And then we can start mm. to figure out, okay, if this is actually where your challenge, your problem is, that's where we need to create tools that suits you from a personal perspective. Right. And going from that, Anna, too, the the very first thing, like when I when I've broken out those sleep cycles and looked at it, it's like, okay, Am I looking at data that I can functionally change? You know, can, can I change any of this data? It's like what my body's during sleep, is it, it's, it's doing during sleep based upon its need. And understanding that, I've looked at um, even a whole battery of things like sleep supplements, right? If you've seen anything other than say, like I started to dive in with the amount of travel I was having and you know, my sleep was broken up, but is there anything I can do to manage that? And I was always struggling to find like supplements and everyone's like, oh, melatonin, melatonin, melatonin. And so, okay, I'll try melatonin. I wake up groggy, trying to put two and two together. Six cups of coffee later, I felt like I was bouncing back, right? So I was on this really negative cycle with that. And then I read some studies somewhere that looked at melatonin and said, yeah, some of the almost cognitive processing gets disheveled with that as a supplement and not to can that, but in terms of the in terms of the science around an additive, a supplement, have you seen anything? Are you looking at anything? Do you avoid everything? How do you approach that? It's super blurry, right? And if you look at the science mm. side of things, it goes in in a thousand different directions. Melatonin yeah. has a proven positive effect short term, right? And should mm. be used short term supplements uh, i always debate this when i'm working with a nutritionist on the side as well because are yeah. there nutritional aspects that we could add into our line of work around sleep recovery and then yes there have been research published about protein versus carbohydrates 
And then you have the whole debate again, because if it's match day minus one and you want to load hmm. carbohydrates, yeah. what comes first, the hen or the egg? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there is always a debate about personal preference as well. Like, how would mm. you go about a supplement? Do I try to avoid uh. it? Yes and no. What I always do is that I try to always go down the natural route first, meaning mm. that mm. excluding just trying to create quick fix solutions that we might not need if we did other things in a, in a different way. Right. So we were, right. in no. theory, we were all born to sleep. And because we are talking about athletes, the prevalence of severe sleep diagnostics or uh, diagnostics where you have actually need treatment is quite low, right? You mm. will have sports yeah. where you have like basketball, people with a big or rugby or with, right. with a big neck size. Yeah. We know that the prevalence yeah. of sleep apnea and so forth is, is higher than in other sports. Yeah. But in theory, we are always talking about people with an active lifestyle, a healthy body and, and, and. So I usually always say that 90% of the time, sleep disturbances in athletics is more mental, right? It comes from pressure, mm, right. congestive right. scheduling. Da, da, da. So there are a lot of things that we could work around from a natural perspective because your body is actually working quite well, right? And, mm, and right. sometimes you might benefit from a kickstart if you're like extremely mm. out of sync using melatonin. Mm. But I always yeah, try yeah. to to develop it as like a habit, right? Because we want right, to avoid, right. avoid to create the bandage habits because it's sometimes mm. at some point you need to pull it off and we don't want to have an infected mm. wound as well. I always have the debate as well with, with our like the medical side of it when I'm working in a team because it's super bad if mm. I'm going down the natural route and then you have a doctor who's prescribing yeah. Oh, yeah. sleep right. medication because yeah. someone can't. So that needs to be aligned. And I'm super fortunate in that case as well because I'm very often working with clinicians, doctors who are very onboarded into not prescribing sleep medication. But I mm. have... Mm. tried a couple of times where i'm working with athletes and then they're sent off to let's say national duty and then the mythology right. and the perspective is different because they need them to perform in this very short window frame and then it's just yeah. the easy way out so yeah. going back right. to your Get question yeah. i respect that some supplements can aid but i wouldn't mm. use them as a as a dominant tool in the way that i'm working right Right now, it makes a lot of sense. And so let's talk about the things that you believe are controllable. And there's this whole, I guess, I won't call it a science. There is more of an understanding now about sleep hygiene and using that terminology to state, how do we go about sleep? How do we get into that? Like a study that I just read literally the other night, you know, trying to shut my brain off and go to sleep. So I start reading, doing some research. And I read this study that really is reanalyzing, say, blue light and the effect of blue light on our bodies. And the last study I read was, was a statement in there, well, it's not, a, it's not actually the light. It's actually the activity that your brain is going through while, while using those devices, uh, which is probably more prevalent to and not being able to shut down and get into good sleep patterns and rhythms, sleep hygiene. And let's talk about that a little bit, like best practices for you, um, again, it's going to be lifestyle dependent. 
individual dependent, team and sport probably dependent, travel schedule in there dependent, right? There's all those dependencies, but what are the commonalities through that? What have you seen? Let's take the cell phone, right? Because it's so common. And I always say, like, if you want me to come out and do an educational workshop with like the five mm. best bullets on how to sleep better at Google because it's much more yeah. inex like inexpensive. And advice number two <laughs> is always like put your phone yeah. away 20 minutes at least before you go to bed. And if you take another advice, it mm. would be an hour. I'm not black and white when it comes to that because like even from a study, study perspective, studies recently came out actually looking at an elderly population who started to sleep better mm. because they were on the phones feeling connected to people giving them right. a positive feeling before going to bed using the phone right there you go and yeah. Yeah. i've done and this is not published studies but i've done some some studies on some of the athletes that i'm working with and i actually did mm. a quite interesting case study that was like a couple of years back with an athlete who was very negatively affected by social media and he was very much aware mm. about it himself and then i i wow. uh, i worked with him for quite some time um and we agreed that he tried for a period of time to completely disengage from social media why we tracked his his uh, circadian rhythm and that was hrv stress relations blah blah, blah stuff like that and what we could see that in his case his data all just turned green right he disengaged from mm. social media he could fall asleep at night. Um, looking at the sleep quality, it it came up. His even his his um, his schedule changed a little bit, so he got more hours of sleep, and that really worked out well for him. But then yeah. I might have someone else who, in the process of putting the phone away, would be more towards like the fear of missing out. So I'm not on my phone, mm. and I'm not. Like right. following along what's happening, and that breeds stress. It just works straight against the, the production of, of sleep hormone. So if you're stressed out, right. you produce cortisol. Cortisol yeah. and what you need to fall asleep just really doesn't work well together. So again, it would be super nice if you could just line up this recipe saying like, if everyone just go, goes off the mm. phone an hour before bedtime, everybody would gain mm. a high sleep quality. But you've just had a year of lockdown you're still in lockdown or at least yep. you're not allowing people like yep. me from europe to travel into the u.s or vice versa i, I yeah. tried to get over and see you sorry like, ah. <laughs> yeah it's okay it's interesting because a year back we might have seen one reaction to the cell phone but during mm. a year of lockdown yeah. where this was maybe the way that you were able to say good night to your child living in mm. a different country that you couldn't travel in to see this might have given right. you something completely different and that's why i think it's super yeah. super important that when we talk about sleep hygiene that the best that people can actually do to help themselves is to do a little bit trial and error but mm. reflect and i always work with passive and active choice making right so i'm never telling someone to do this or to do that but right. try to do this see the effect try to do that and then trying to figure out as well what are you just doing without actually being aware of you doing it versus what do you actively do and a good example and i always pull it out so people are probably sick and tired of hearing the example but it's super <laughs> good so a lot of athletes they have a pretty 
poor ability to hydrate themselves, right? They know that right. hydration yeah. is super important, but they tend to yep. forget it during the day. So how is hydration and sleep disorder combined? A lot of athletes, right. when they didn't drink enough or sufficient during the day, they will get thirsty late afternoon, evening. They know that mm. water is super important, so they just start to drink a lot of water. So yeah. drinking a lot of water is, again, not a sleep disease, but it leads to you having to go to the toilet three, four, five times during the night. Every time right. Right. you need to push yourself to go to the toilet, you break your own sleep cycle. Going back to the right. sleep phases. So let's say you were sleeping and you break your sleep cycle because you have to go to the toilet. You need to start all over mm. again. Ultimately, the quality right. of your sleep will be lower. But again, mm. hydration is not a sleep problem, but you not hydrating yourself leads to mm. a, a lower sleep quality. So right. again... If I am to create success for an athlete like that, let's not talk about sleep, sleep quality, but let's talk about what you're doing mm. during the day that leads to the fact right. that you can actually get a good quality sleep at night. Right. Napping, ooh, big subject, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, because that goes a little bit back to sleep hygiene as well. Because sleep hygiene mm. in my mm. head is not only the hygienic factors you do just before you go to bed, it's the right. it's the it's the combination of factors that you do throughout the day that leads to your ability to fall asleep at night. And I think right. it's very right. misunderstood that sleep hygiene is hygienic in the sense that we understand brushing our teeth, making sure we air the room hmm. and and then. But sleep yeah. hygiene starts from the minute you wake up in the morning. Sleep hygiene is also right. you making sure that you get light exposure that you don't stay inside all day because that yeah. messes up your rhythm. Sleep hygiene yeah. is that you on a day off don't see yourself as treating yourself by staying the whole day at the couch. Mm. That's poor sleep hygiene because that leads yeah. to lower recovery, but also quite often a pushed back rhythm with an inability to fall asleep at night because you didn't do anything during the day. Right. right. So I think it's so misunderstood to talk about sleep hygiene as mm. a factor that we do just before we go to bed. Yeah, it's not like it's A, B, C, and there's do these three steps, and you will guarantee your sleep for the uh, entire eight hours. But on that on that pathway, naps. Let's talk about those for a second, because one of the things that, like in in my time working with athletes and understanding naps, well, first and foremost, there was this there's this ego. Uh, that kind of predominates a lot of male athletes that I've worked with specifically that says, I only slept three hours last night and you know, I can go all day today. The warrior. Or the warrior, this badge of honor that, yeah, on three hours sleep, I did this. And I know that attitude is changing. Yeah, I see um, that as well. With, with requirement. We certainly see that attitude changing, but tell us about naps and their currency and their effect on an individual it doesn't even have to be an athlete during the day how do you look at those i think like from a cognitive perspective science definitely tells us that that they will have a positive effect i always see it a little bit like running the quick program on a dishwasher right you just do it quickly and then you come out and you feel a little bit cleaned and energized from a scientific perspective there's definitely voices around the length of the nap and the benefit right in relations to the length of the nap. And that's mm. where I become a practitioner, right? Because we need mm. to apply something that, that 
goes for the majority of, of the athletes. I'm always favoring short nap. And I am favoring naps. I think it's a very good idea to do a nap as long as you don't have difficulties falling asleep at night. Right. So the nap sometimes could be looked at from a strategy to overcome potentially what was missing the night before. But you've also got to look at it forward, right? Look forward and go, okay, is this going to affect this evening's quality of sleep? I always try to, to voice the fact of trying to keep the nap under 30 minutes. What I see is very much that there's a, an age-related thing as well when it comes to mm. napping. As long as you're mm. a, a younger athlete with no, let's say you don't have a family, you have nothing to return mm. back to when you leave the training ground. And then you have a different scenario when you're an older player with a family and different requirements. You, you come back home and you don't really have time for the nap. What, what I see very often is that among the young players, there's a really, really high prevalence of overnapping, right? You come mm. back home mm. and you take a nap. But I always say, mm. like, no athlete never ever in history would take a nap with the intention of harming himself. It always mm. comes from a good place. Right. Right. I want yeah. to regain yeah. some energy. Yeah. But then again, if you overnap in the afternoon, you push your rhythm, you mm. push your ability to fall asleep in a negative direction. You taking a nap ultimately leaves you with an inability to recover as well as if you didn't take a long nap. Right. And if you right. didn't translate right. that into performance perspective, your freshness, your alertness, your reaction time, the cognitive side of things is going to be affected negatively on the next day. So you right. need to educate them. I'm never going to tell them you can't sleep for two hours, but you need to educate them so that they understand what's the output if you choose to do A, what's the output right. if you choose to do B. And if mm. you tell them that, that this is the risk, it's often quite impactful because none of them really wants to risk What's coming out of mm. having, you know, a long napping pattern. Right, right. And to your point, it's never one size fits all. No, and I always tell them as well that in, yeah. in the beginning, if you've had a napping routine for a long time where you sleep longer hours in the afternoon, look, they're all going to hate me in the beginning because they will wake up from that short nap feeling like, A, they want to continue to sleep. B, they will send me a lot of negative thoughts. They're like, hey, this doesn't really mm. work. If you continue, if you're consistent, if you continue to do it, the body will adjust as well, right? And it right. will recognize the yeah. pattern and then you will have the positive outcome. Where I always see a problem is that if they're not consistent around doing the shoulder naps, then it's less effective. Then I'm starting right. quite often right. to see that they will have problems with the sleep latency at night as, as well. What I love about your position here too is one of the things that kind of aligns for me, I've, I've always said that, you know, our athletes and understanding them and understanding their potential and understanding how to manage an athlete, the real foundation is, is emotions. And you're tying sleep into that and you're tying it in in such a way that how do you feel in the morning when you get up? And how does this make you feel? And you're tapping into the decision-making process of the athlete to make choices which are made from an emotional position. So that enhancement of the foundation for that individual athlete, how you're using sleep as a currency to enhance that foundation, it's almost like, for me, if, like, if I had a guy come out and mix concrete, you've got the perfect additive, 
right? You're adding this really, really solid foundation for the growth of that athlete. If you add experiences where your effect on that athlete has been, let's say life-changing, but let's not say life-changing as in game-changing, right? If you score more points, yeah, those things are fine, but what has that done for his life overall? I mean, give me an example of something like that. I mean, it would be so much nicer if the athletes were actually sitting here and, and telling the stories <laughs> rather than me yeah. trying to yeah, promote. Yeah, I know you don't like to self-promote, but I'm going to put you on myself. the spot here. Look, I, can give yeah. you, I can give you a few examples because I think they're quite um, describing for many, many other athletes out there. So one athlete yeah. that I've worked with for the past years, um, I started working with him when he was in his mid-20s. And he, I think he's, he gave me a really, really nice compliment, not towards me, but more towards the process. And he said, and it sums it up really nicely, he said, and I, I seriously, I would have loved to meet you so much earlier on in my career. Because his, his problem was that he was massively stressing about the days where he was unable to fall asleep, mm. which was very often match day minus one and post game. Yeah. Right. But in his case, it was actually a quite positive case because on an overall level, his sleep was pretty good, right? Mm. Which meant that the days that he was actually stressing severely about actually didn't impact him as negatively as he thought. Mm. And that's where data actually is quite positive to use because we could right. clearly right. demonstrate that he had the majority of the days in a very, very positive zone. And because he then had a one-off once in a while, it didn't really matter because you also saw how quickly his body would adjust after again. Mm. And then I, I always gave him the example and I also showed him data from other people where this was not the case, showing that let's say you have a very out-of-sync rhythm, you have very different bed and wake times, and then you have this mm. post-game sleeping problem. Then your body mm. will not adjust, adjust as fast. And I think he's a very good example of someone who's stressing about something which is super unnecessary, but because nobody right. really ever told him and because sleep had become for him a measurement point, like if I need to do mm. this right in order to be able to deliver my performance at a very high level. And right. he didn't manage to focus on all the days where he actually did a lot of good stuff for his body. Right. So when a... Looking forward five years and understanding where technology is today and to look at the gaps that exist in the market, like you said, there are blind spots, there's stuff we don't know about sleep. If you could wave a magic wand and have one thing, is there, is there something missing? Like as an artist, you're an artist to me. I want to give you an extra color that you can approach your canvas with. Is there something, is there one thing that you would say you would want? I think in order to do so, we need to go back and look what happened the past 10 years, right? There, there were so many things that came out from a technology perspective, from a perspective of our ability to optimize sleep. In theory, it would be super nice if, if we could simplify a lot of things because to a degree, mm. all of the technologies as well coming out are complicating sleep to a degree, right? Yeah. Because everybody right. wants to optimize one of our very, very big challenges, and there's also research on this, is our homes as they're built today because they're very, mm. very, very isolated and warm. Mm. 
Mm. And right. if we look at the body and the way that the body works, evolution has really not done a lot of things to us. We still want to sleep in a cave when the sun goes down and yeah. we want to come out of that cave when the temperature rises and the sun mm. is out. Mm. So if we could imagine having not just commercial products, but actually working really good products that would stimulate the caveman, cavewoman inside mm. of us even better, I, yeah. I trust that that would be successful. Ten years ago, I did a project in a football club where we divided the squad into two mm -hmm. and asked one part to just stick to whatever they were sleeping in and the other part of the squad, we asked them to wear a dry fit material. Remember, mm. this was ten years oh, ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back then, I, I, I'm actually quoted for this sentence. I said, if I could ever find a sleep garment that could support players to, to not sweat as much during the night, I would be a millionaire. Today, <laughs> 10 years after, <laughs> there are quite a few yeah. products in the market. Yeah. And I am using among my athletes very good garments that are available mm. now that supports their thermoregulation. Yeah. Um, so things we, we discover along the way that can support without complicating. And that, again, can be slightly independent because we react different to stuff. Where I don't believe that we are creating progress is that we are too much wording that people need, you know, uh, accessory A, B, C, D, E, F, yeah. G in order to yeah. be able to fall asleep. Right. Um, that's not going to support anybody to a better no. sleep. What I have found personally is that everyone's kind of looking for lightning in a bottle. They will apply one technology and it's a linear measurement and that's everything. That's all the answers I need. And it's one line of data. And my position has always been, look, the human body, this is chaos theory. There are so many different variables that are interacting. Have you found working with clubs and working with athletes that we have this kind of yes, no binary path point because of the linearity of data? Or is that something that you have to step back and alter the optics and the lens of how teams, coaches, and athletes are looking at sleep? Do you have a clean canvas that they get at day one? Or do you, is this something that you have to teach them how to really look at this? Um, to a degree, you have to, to, to teach it, right? Because again, what they expect is quite often that it's very easy to quantify yeah. the output of a better sleep. Right, right. And, and working with sleep is not just quantifying that all the players start to sleep more hours or that the quality of the sleep is going up, right? Mm. You, you, you use the, the term multi-data sets, mm. right? When mm. it comes to the output of sleep, this is exactly the output. It would be super easy and also for me a much easier business case if I could come and say, this is the exact point where I will make a change. Mm. But but that's not the case because sleep is basically the bottom of the pyramid. Mm. And the yeah. precondition of success in all the other domains surrounding an athlete. And in a lot of the other domains, you have a lot more direct measurable impact numbers. Mm. Right? But yep. in theory and research supports this as well. You can say that quite often you can see that when, when athletes they start to sleep better. They will have better decision-making, faster sprint times, 
They will solve cognitive assignments better right. and so forth. But but is it straight down to sleep sleep because it's improved? Mm. Or are there other aspects as well that, that would interfere with that outcome? In my mythology, I don't believe that sleep is the only thing. But if I'm working in a team and it's multidisciplinary and we and we have a super good psychologist at the side as well, and people learn to de-stress performance factors it's also measurable in a higher sleep outcome but how do you measure something like that there are a lot of immeasurable gains that comes from sleep so if you ask me what i would like down the route in 10 years it's something that i can maybe more easily quantify to 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 qualify the output of the process yeah, incredible. It'd be awesome to say, you know, if you had one button on your smartphone that you were dialing up the environment for that athlete, right? And then all yeah. of a sudden then being able to see the markers around that performance, right? Um, yeah, I could certainly see that as being beneficial. Heart rate variability was something we jumped on uh, over at Whoop and looked at, you know, that data set. And I know that there's so many different ways to capture that information right now. And I'm, I'm failing my promise of my previous question being the last one. Uh, but bringing up, um, bringing up that card, pulling that card out of the deck now, I often started to look at it and say, okay, is sleep affecting HIV or is HIV affecting sleep? Is it a separated measure? Do we really understand the science of this? When is it collected? How is it collected? There are all these variables even surrounding that line of information that made it difficult for me to really get a grasp on it. And is more, is more better um, or is it purely the balance within the sympathetic nervous system that I really want to understand and its effect on recovery? Do you, do you look at that data at all? And yeah. have, has there been any insights from that? I, I definitely look at all the data, but again, going back to one of your previous hmm. questions, I try to avoid to look at that one single day, but more to look at the development of a trend curve. So rather than, than yeah. saying that specific measure, then saying more this specific measure in a, in a longer period of time, because mm -hmm. that allows me to see, maybe I should give an example. So mm. a, a player in a transfer window who is super stressed out about not knowing what will happen next, probably have an affected HRV, right? Because he's stressed right. out about it. Yeah. And yeah. if I see an affected HRV, do I at the same time see a decreasing sleep curve over time? Right. I would right. always look at it on, a, on more days rather than looking at it on one day to understand what's going on and how we can actually impact it as well the other way around, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're super stressed out about the transfer window, this was probably not going to be the last time in your athletic career that you need to deal yeah. with a situation like that. Yep. So let's take this as a stress-related situation that you will have to deal with a lot of mm. times moving forward. So which tools can we use taking into consideration that we see a decreasing trend curve? Right. I don't know if it makes sense. but Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Anna, you're, you have a unique ability, and I mentioned this uh, to our team at Kinetics before we engaged in this uh, podcast, I said, I remember from you uh, the way you look at an athlete and this holistic viewpoint that you have is something that 
like I said earlier, you change the way I think about things and you make me stand back and get out of my data lines and go, okay, let's look at trends. Let's look at those analysis. Let's try to figure out how this all fits together. That ability is really unique. You could write a book on how to assess the human athlete and just to create the optic on what is necessary that it isn't just these are not binary things. It's not one plus one equals two. I've used the term chaos theory, but you have an ability to stand in the middle of that chaos and see patterns and understand it and manage it and move, move it forward positively. Yeah, and the interesting thing is if, if we could create an algorithm at the back of that, you could multiply me, right? But, but you can't really do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do here. We want to steal Anna. We want to multiply. Yeah, no, no, but yeah. that again, that that makes me sound like I'm sitting on a pedestal and I'm making myself super unique. I think I think I'm not, um, and I'm I I'm honestly very supported and helped by data in my process and in my business as well. Because if if I didn't work with data, it becomes. Uh, quite fluffy as well right yeah exactly and, and and that's where that's where i actually like the tools and the data and the baseline measurement because then we clearly quantify that we move people from a to b mm. this was a starting point this is where we and i'm a super nerd when it comes to sleep of course but in making sure that i am actually tracking process and data n- not for me but also for the player to see wh- where was your starting point what i do when i profile the players is that I always categorize them in a, in a traffic light, red, yellow, green, right? But a green profile is actually doing a lot of things pretty good. So we need to mm. support him to do pretty good things even more because then we can gain some very important margins. And these margins are very important in high performance sport. So if, if we are working with someone who already has a high barrier of performance, He's probably thinking, hey, I'm doing things good. I don't need to change anything at all. But if we can still have this as a baseline measurement, a good baseline, we just add extra things on it by quantifying data. But if we didn't quantify it, he might not see the, the change and the difference. So I'm a huge fan of data and seeing patterns, but also using that data in a very low practical way. Well, Anna, your insights are always those for me when it comes to... Uh, understanding this area of sleep and recovery for an athlete and I know you don't put yourself on a pedestal let me do that for you okay because I think I'll obviously from this conversation onwards I'll continue to do that look firstly I can't thank you enough for taking the time with us today to dive in into this domain a little bit we're on this journey to try to get a better indication of individual human movement and how we can evolve an athlete to reach their optimum genetic potential of which the domain you are critically focused on is, I think, probably the most, if not the most important thing we need to understand moving forward. It's certainly in the hierarchy of one of two of those first ordered metrics that are necessary for athlete evolution. So, Anna, thank you. I can't wait till we're live again together and... um, I know you've had, uh, yes, you've had some environmental challenges in uh, your part of the world yeah. right now. So, uh, mate, first and foremost, stay safe here. And I know you're about to get on a well-needed vacation where you will sleep probably really well, right? Yeah. But the question, doing, the question, doing what the preacher preaches, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the questions you pose today are likely the ones that are going to keep me awake tonight. 
Yeah, that's what happens when people start to work with me, right? You're like, ooh. <laughs> Anna, yeah, I, I love Anna, but man, now she's made me think, and that's keeping me awake. <laughs> that's not very successful. <laughs> Anna, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Human Kinosome Project. Our music is provided by the incredibly talented Joanna Magic. I hope you'll join our community at discord.gg kinetics. Team, the game is just beginning.